Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. In today's episode, we are speaking with Dr. Jackie Black. Dr. Jackie helps rekindle relationships with loving, amazing, but crazy busy small business owners so they are lovers again. Also, for the last 30 years, Dr. Jackie has been actively supporting grieving partners and family members in the cancer community and the Alzheimer's community and was on the front line of the AIDS pandemic serving men who were ill and the partners, family members, and medical teams of those who died. Dr. Jackie also serves couples when one partner is living with life-threatening or chronic illness. As the founder of DrJackieBlack.com, she currently helps clients in eight time zones, has delivered her monthly relationship tip sheet to men and women in 38 countries, and has been featured on hundreds of radio shows and podcasts around the world. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jackie. We are so happy to speak with you today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Well. We know your schedule is a busy one, uh, eight time zones. I have difficulty sometimes keeping track of the states here. So, But we really appreciate that you found some time. We also had some technical difficulties getting started. So Dr. Jackie's a champion. She, she persisted. <laughs> and, uh, and here we are. So we feel very fortunate. Today's topic is, do I need professional help? And of all the topics Stephanie and I listed when we started this podcast, this for me is probably the most sensitive one. So I really appreciate you being here for this. This is going to be valuable not only for those who are grieving, but also for those who support someone who is grieving, someone with a recent loss. Before we get started with our message though, Dr. Jackie, would you take a moment and let our listeners know how you came to this career? Yeah, actually grief and loss found me a very dear friend asked me if I would go to an A8 conference with her for two days in Santa Rosa, California. This is many years ago. And I said yes, just to sort of be supportive. And she asked me the first morning to go to a keynote with her, which I did. And I met John James, who is a very popular speaker in the, in the recovery community. And John was talking about grief. And I sat in the audience with many, many hundreds of people. And I thought, oh, my God, that's what's wrong with me. You know, I'm grieving. I didn't, I didn't realize that there were so many life losses in addition to the death of, of a, a partner, a parent, a child, a grandparent, a pet that affect us. And so through that, my willingness to go support a friend I met people in the grief and loss community as well after I left the conference. I was so, so interested and, and so taken actually by the whole idea of grief and grieving. I was like, well, wh- why didn't we know that? Why don't people know that grieving is a process and that it's normal and natural and necessary? And that's when I jumped right into the grief and loss community. And I must tell you that in those years, I was in corporate America. I was managing high-rise office buildings for pension funds. 
So it was uh, years before, a couple of years before I got my PhD, but that, that was sort of the beginning for me. That's, it's always interesting to me to hear the paths each of us has taken to reach where we currently are. I like what you said that grief and loss found you because I think that's kind of how it happened with me as well. Lost a, a newborn child, lost my father, my mother, uh, and more recently, my husband about two oh, and a half I'm years sorry. ago. Thank you. And each experience was vastly different. I think in a lot of ways, just because of the years and the climate, you know, society and everything, I don't think I ever really got over the loss of my newborn. It was stuffed and there really wasn't the help available. So we are fans of anyone who steps out and says, I want to help those that are grieving. I want them to better understand what it is they're going through and that they aren't crazy. This is not abnormal. This is all part of the process. And I have now accepted that I will probably be grieving for the rest of my life. We feel that grief is different for every single person, for every single episode. It is not a disease to us, and it is not to us a mental disorder. And there is no timeline. So it's not fair for someone to say, you've been grieving for six months already. So, you know, get over it. But with all of those things, it has to be very, very difficult to know if or when you might need help. Can you give us any insight on this, Dr. Jackie? How do we know? So in my view, everybody needs help. And let me tell you why. In this, in, in generally English-speaking countries, grief and grieving, well, let's start at the beginning if we can. So grief is a reaction to a loss event and grieving is the normal, natural, and necessary process that restores us to wholeness. And it's possible to, to do our grief work and to resolve. That's the word that we use, resolve. We don't move through it. We don't, it doesn't end, but we resolve grief so that we can be actively engaged in our lives. We can reconnect, re-engage with people and with passion. We can continue to make a difference. There will always be pain in our heart for every loss event we experience, particularly related to people. We don't live in a culture that supports any of the processes that are normal, natural, and necessary. Any of the experiences, any of the feelings so when people are grieving, they, they experience five normal, natural feelings, anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt. I'll say those again. Anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt. Those feelings come in waves and pains, sometimes at different times, sometimes two, one or two or three at a time, sometimes all at the same time. There is no such thing as phases or stages, no such thing. The seminal work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross that talked about the stages of grieving, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's seminal work was regarding people who were coming to terms with their own mortality, not people who were living years and years and years with the loss of a loved one, with a loss event. 
And so to just apply that seminal work to those of us that are grieving the death of a, of a, of a person, of a loved one, is not only is it incorrect and improper, it won't work. It has no relationship to the actual experiences we're experiencing. Anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt. There are tasks to be completed. Tasks, not stages, not phases. That's a whole other conversation. It's a much larger conversation, the tasks. So the reason that I say that people need help from the beginning is that they need a space, a safe person in a safe space who knows that what they're feeling is normal, natural, and necessary, right? Normal, natural, and necessary. And it's not about buck up, stiff upper lip, you can do it, busy hands or happy hands, all those stupid things that people say to people who are grieving. They don't have any relevance to restoring the, our feelings, the inside self, which has been decimated. The worst possible thing, the most inconceivable thing that could have ever happened did. That's the problem. The problem isn't your reaction to that, which is anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt. And while we're talking about the five feelings, I just want to say that each of those feeling states of grieving has a job to do. It has a job to do. They're important. That's why they come up in ebbs and flows. And until you, we as grieving people, let them do their job, and that means go with it. Don't fight back the tears. Don't make yourself get out of bed if you want to pull the covers over your head. Don't make yourself calm down if you're feeling anxious. There's a Yiddish word, spilkes, right? If you're on pins and needles. All of those experiences are part of the grieving process, the normal, natural grieving process. And Kathy, I love what you said about it's not a mental disorder. It's not. It's not a mental disorder. It's not a mood disorder. There is nothing psychiatric or psychological that's problematic about grieving. We are hardwired, hardwired as human beings to grieve, right? To grieve, which is the reaction to a loss event. And, the, and then the grieving is the process, as I said before. So from the beginning, I know when my late husband, Mark, was when we were in the hospital and I knew he was dying, I'd already sought out uh, a grief counselor, someone that was really experienced in our community. And I reached out to her. I let her know that Mark was dying and that I would be calling her. So I ha she was on board before he even died. And I am one of the leading foremost authorities on grief and loss. But I was not going to do this by myself. And I joined a bereavement group. And that's another thing that is so valuable is a bereavement group. Actually, this podcast started because of a bereavement group. Both Stephanie and I, um, our backgrounds now, are in the hospice area. Locally, we have some comfort care homes. And I had found my way to a particular one, Shepherd Home in Penfield, New York. And I had been asked to lead a bereavement group at Shepherd Home for the family members who had lost their loved ones. And I did. And I think we were what, at our second or third meeting. And here comes COVID. So we stopped. 
Then as things lightened up a bit, the request came back from the director at Shepherd Home who said, Kathy, do you think you could kind of reincarnate your bereavement group? So I discussed it and Stephanie was in on some discussions, went back and forth. And then like a light bulb or a lightning bolt, the word podcast came to my mind. I said something to Stephanie. In my mind, I was thinking, why restrict it to a small community or area in Western New York when who knows who we could reach out to? Well, about five or six weeks later, after Stephanie and I did a lot of work, here's the podcast. So bravo. Wow. That's where we are. And our, our entire mission is to increase awareness support those that are grieving and help them better understand that they're not sick. They're not mentally ill. Not at all. That's what brought the topic for today. And again, I feel it's a very sensitive topic, but I wanted to cover it nevertheless. Yeah. Unfortunately, well-meaning men and women in the world of therapy, in the world of counseling, in the world of psychology, are, I want to just say most of them are very well-trained and very skilled and talented. And when you overlay their training, when you overlay the models of therapy on the feeling states of grieving, you get all kinds of diagnoses that are all wrong. The diagnosis is grief and loss. It's not complicated grief, anticipatory grief, prolonged grief disorder, uncomplicated grief, complicated, uncomplicated, persistent, complicated bereavement disorder. But that's what they know. That's their training. And so when they see a collection of symptoms, right? I see feelings. I see anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt, and all of the behaviors that are attendant to those feelings. People in the psychological community, in the therapy community, the counseling community, they see a collection of symptoms and their training tells them that these symptoms are, and the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, tells them that these are disorders, they're mood disorders or they're psychological disorders. And the DSM-5 is done grieving people of a huge disservice. And that is that after two weeks, two weeks of grieving, they shift the diagnosis to major depressive disorder. And so now people are diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And depending on how much anxiety you have, remember, anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt. So depending on how much anxiety you have with the depression, you're going to get a bipolar diagnosis. Exactly. Exactly. That's one of my big concerns. Well, and it should be a big concern. It should be a concern for all of us that we are pathologizing a normal, natural, necessary process that we as human beings are hardwired to engage ourselves. It's like we know we're hungry and so we eat food. We know we're sleepy, so we rest. Well, we know we're sad and we know we're anxious and we know we're mad. And so we have those attendant behaviors related to anger, sadness, anxiety, and depression, and guilt. Except people get so nervous 
when we have all these feelings, oh, there's something wrong with them. Oh, we have to do something. We have to make them feel better. Fix them. Well, there's no, fix them. Yes. Thank you, Stephanie. Fix them. That is never going to happen. There's no fixing. There is walking through the normal, natural process, which is grieving. That's why I say to, to hire somebody immediately, someone who can hold that space and keep normalizing it for you. Keep saying, this is normal. This is normal. You get lost. This is normal. You set the table for the person that's died. This is normal. You get mail for, from, for them that comes to the house and you collapse. You get excited about something. You pick up the phone to call them. These are all normal things. They're nothing to, to worry about, to be concerned about. If, if you are the one who's grieving, sometimes you get so lost in your feelings that you might not have the presence of mind to think, I can't manage this on my own. I need help. What can someone who supports that person, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's just a close friend or coworker, how, how do you know that someone is struggling and just really, really needs that help? Or is this something, again, that you should suggest at the very beginning? And how would you do that delicately? Yes, I would suggest that if you know anybody who's grieving, you support them to join a bereavement group. I'm such a fan of bereavement groups. It's so, so much, well, Kathy, you know, it's so much relief to walk into a room of, of people who are experiencing what you're experiencing. It's the, the only place in the world during that period of time that you're not different. Right. The people get it. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to make excuses. You don't have to buck up and look or sound different or better than you are. I'm a big, big fan of bereavement groups. And there are bereavement groups in every city in the world. They are related and attached to, as you say, hospice organizations, social service organizations, the cancer community, the Alzheimer's community, Alzheimer's Association, the United... All, so call them and ask them if they know of anybody. Generally, people who are facilitating bereavement groups know other people in the community that work with grieving people. The last thing you want to do is suggest they go to therapy. Really, I, that's the last thing that you want to do. So you want to keep them in the bereavement community if you can. If you don't have a hospice or any agencies, social service agencies that have bereavement groups, then you might look at therapists in your community and look for therapists that specifically say in their bios that they work with grief and loss. And then don't believe them. Call them because a lot of them say, oh yeah, I do grief and loss. Yeah, from your model. Yeah, so they're using this whole other model. So ask them, what do you, what do you believe about grief? Right, what, how, do you, how do you talk to your grievers? What do you think about grief? What do you believe? So ask them some of the questions that we're talking about today. Go in and talk to them, see how they treat you, see what they say. I always say that you should interview therapists. They hate that. But I, I believe we should interview therapists before we hire them. I love that. That's exactly correct. And sometimes they're not on the same page. And they can be influential. We don't want to be influenced. We want somebody like-minded who will hold that space for us to experience what is normal, natural, and necessary and who will walk us through the tasks. If they are not task-related, 
if they start talking about phases or stages, run out of the room. And don't pay for an interview. Do not pay a therapist to interview them to see if they are a good fit for you. I personally know two people that have gone to see a therapist. As I think about their background, they both are probably grieving a loss. One, the loss of her father and the other, a loss of a newborn baby that lived, I think, a day and a half, something like that. And they've each gone to a therapist. And within, I want to say, the second or third visit had been given a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And I remembered asking them questions. Of course, I'm a fierce patient advocate. I don't just like to accept what a clinician gives me. Mm -hmm. I will challenge. I will ask for background, things like that. So I asked these two friends of mine separately, what did you tell your therapist that you think made them give you this diagnosis? And both of them said, well, they asked me how my days were. And I said, oh, some good, some bad, some days I'm happy, some days I'm not. Mm-hmm. Well, And of course, if the therapist, and I, I honestly don't know what level they are. I don't know if they're social workers, psychiatric nurse practitioners, psychiatrist. I don't know. I, but they were given some medication. And now they're struggling to get the right dosage and everything like that. And I said to them, it's a travesty. Have you ever thought that maybe you are just dealing with your grief? Or not dealing with your grief. So it's, it's refreshing for me, before we even asked the question, to have you broach that same subject. And I know it's helpful for me. Could you just kind of summarize that whole thing that if you were a close relative or friend and know someone that had a recent loss, you would again say to them a couple of things. So the first thing the first thing I would say is I heard whether you did or not I heard a really interesting speaker recently I heard an interesting podcast I read an interesting article written by somebody who specializes in grief and loss and the thing that made so much sense to me was the suggestion to find a bereavement group to be in a group of people who are experiencing the same thing. So, so you don't feel different and you feel accepted and the facilitator really understands what you're experiencing. All third person. Don't tell the person what to do. I heard this and I heard that a bereavement group is good for these three reasons. And boy, I think I'm going to keep that in my mind if, if I ever have a loss. It made so much sense to me. That's the first thing. The second thing is, so grieving, I, so I, and I also heard that grieving doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, that it's all about feelings. And we don't live in a culture that, that holds or promotes us having um, our, all of our feelings. Why people want us to come into our heads and be busy or go back to work fast or think we can or have a mantra or have a different vision. And I'm really having real feelings and that I want you to, to think about that, that your feelings, anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt are real. That the bad thing that happened is that so-and-so died, not that your feelings are bad. I really like that. And then I would stop. I, I would really try to normalize the thing they were feeling and suggest a bereavement group. 
That's great. Because people are overloaded, they're overwhelmed, and they're not going to keep anything more than that in their consciousness. Right. Probably. This is just so, so helpful. And I know it's going to help our listeners a lot. It's going to help them relax, I think. One more question on this topic. Once you start seeing someone, say someone is going to a therapist, how do you know or how do you how do you tell your therapist, I don't think I need your help anymore? So suppose you say something about going to bereavement groups and someone does that and they realize that that's really benefiting them more. Yes, you are paying, you are in charge, and you say to the therapist, my work with you has been very valuable. I have appreciated knowing you and I've appreciated everything that you've given to me and I'm terminating. I'm ending our therapy relationship. And I want you to know that you will always be uh, an important person in my life and this will always have been an important experience. Goodbye. They'll, they'll give you all kinds of reasons why you are not okay and shouldn't. And I'll tell you, you know, it is not dangerous to leave therapy if you are grieving, right? If you have, if you have a legitimate psychiatric diagnosis, then you must be in treatment. You must be on meds. You must be followed. This is not a di- this is not a psychiatric diagnosis. This is a real life thing that people are feeling in their hearts and in their souls and their bodies. And people are not in any danger to end the therapy relationship. That probably isn't helping them anyway. Right. If a therapist is supporting you to move through the tasks, to complete the tasks of grieving, if they're trained as bereavement specialists, as as grief and loss bereavement therapists, uh, somebody like Alan Wofeld in Colorado. And Alan is a prolific writer. His books, and if you know several people, that are grieving. He has suggestions for how you set up your own bereavement group. You don't even need a facilitated bereavement facilitator per se. It's lovely to have a facilitator, but but it's not it's not necessary if you have a guide, right? I think so when we were doing the bereavement groups um, at Shepherd Home even though we only had a few Before the next group meeting would be, I would get phone calls at the house from people that found out about the group and they would tell me their story. And it was just, it was heartbreaking. I'd want to jump through the phone and hug them. And then when they, you know, and I encouraged them to show up to our next meeting. And when they did, I just gave them a big hug. And I feel like that was the best part (laughs) of the bereavement is just that it's just like, you just relax a little in the hug and just feel it in the moment. And right now everything is virtual and we're not able to do that. But I just want everybody out there to just know that we are, every podcast, we are just giving you a nice big virtual bear hug. Okay. So just relax in that, that moment. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's lovely. That's lovely. And I can give you a couple of tips about how to make Zoom calls more interactive because you can have bereavement calls on Zoom. And one of the things that you do is you can high five in your camera. (laughs) <laughs> and, if, and when you're talking or you can give the love signal, the lo- you know, with your two feet, the heart, when you are talking or you're sobbing and all of a sudden you see on the screen five or 10 or 15 or 30 people making the heart symbol in, in right up at their camera level, 
Oh my God. It's so warming. Powerful. There's high fives. There's like, the, and then there's the hugs. You can get really, really, really close to the camera and give yourself a hug. A Everybody doing that at the camera. It matters. The visual components of that really, there's a trickle down. Right. And people do feel that you're getting, you're giving hugs. Right. And the person that you want to hug can open their arms out get very close, open their arms out as if they're really receiving. So we, there are some limitations right now, but we can overcome these limitations because we're all experiencing them. Uh, we're not choosing them, right? They're, they're, we're all experiencing them. And you're so right, Stephanie, that contact, that hug, that squeeze that says, you're okay, everything's fine. Yeah. I think once we get past COVID, past the pandemic, we need a national hug day yeah. Oh, yeah, or a hug fest or something right. because those will be the best feelings ever, I believe. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, Dr. Jackie, we've heard a lot of great information today from you, and I'd like to thank you. Before we wrap up for today, what would you like to say to those that are listening? If they were to visit your website, what would they find? What could they, what kind of help can they receive from you? Mm -hmm. It's actually two different questions. I don't market my grief and loss work. Uh, everyone that comes to me comes through referrals or people that have heard me speak. And the reason is that to do this work, it must resonate with you. You know, so if there's anything that I've said today that resonates with you, you say, ah, yes, that, then I, I, it would be my, my honor to, to support you. On the website, you'll see that I work with couples uh, very busy entrepreneurs and small business owners so they can be lovers again. Again, we get into that very transactional, logistical kind of being together and we lose that yummy connection with each other. And I also work with partners when couples, when one person has been diagnosed with life-threatening or chronic illness. So that's what you see on the website. But you've heard this podcast. You know that I've been working in the grief and loss world for over 30 years. And there you can, there's a link on my website to contact me. And then I think you have a link to the podcast, don't you? That's talktodrjackie.com. And that takes you right to my online calendar. And just to make an appointment, let's talk and explore how I can help. Yes, that those links will be on our website. They will be in the episode notes of the podcast. So they will be readily available to anyone who needs them. Uh, again, Dr. Jackie, I was taking notes for some of the things you said because so many things resonated with me. And I've already thought of maybe two or three topics to explore in a little more depth. So maybe we could ask you to come back for another session sometime. I would love to, especially since now I have the technology down. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it figured out now. It'll be after the first of the year sometime, but there are a couple. I would really like to explore those tasks mm -hmm. more deeply and the feelings because I think that would be beneficial to a lot. So we know you're a busy lady on the West Coast, and we really appreciate you taking the time. So to our listeners as well, we really appreciate you being here and listening to us today. We hope you have heard something that will make you pick up that phone and schedule a complimentary call with Dr. Jackie. You will not regret it. If you have a loss in your life, 
I'm not even going to use the word recent. If you have suffered loss in your life, call Dr. Jackie and just talk. And who knows, you may find yourself well on the road to happier days and feeling more comfortable with the subject of grieving. That's the title, As I Live and Grieve. It's a lifelong process. Thank you very much, Kathy. Thank you, Dr. Jackie. Thank you, Stephanie. Been such a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together. 